VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, August the 18th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams, he's the producer of the program. If you've been considering calling, long-time listener, need to be a first-time caller, today is the day. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Well, you just heard from Noah Shepard in the VOCM newscast. Some special weather statements in place for a variety of areas in the province today. Conagra, Bjorn, Avalon Peninsulas, maybe some thunderstorms, which would be cool enough. Let's hope that there's sustained, uh, persistent, dark, heavy rain clouds over some of the forest fires that are burning, because Mother Nature is going to be one of the keys to putting them out. All right, quick check-in in Niagara, you know me. So, Canada Games update. The little bit quiet today for the folks who are involved in athletics, which is track and field, and soccer, they're all off today. But we've got lots of action. Go to Team NL's website, and you can keep up to date with what's happening. Then there's a, a blog coming from Gary Martin, the chef to mission. But we got a couple of wins in volleyball yesterday, some good rounds played by our athletes playing golf, softball. The boys got off the snide, beat New Brunswick, so they're now one and two. We also, you know, it's before long. The 2025 games are upon us. We're going to have to get uh, Sandy Hickman, who is the lead for St. John City Council, regarding preparations and the infrastructure required. At this moment in time, the two issues that jump off the page to me are the pool and the track. So we don't know where we are quite yet, but we'll see if we can find out a bit more. So I mentioned softball, and the boys got off the snide there yesterday. This is a cool story. Uh, Burt Butler was... A well-known figure in Bjorn and one of the best softball players to ever come out of that community. He had a dream. is to have a mini diamond, a tiny diamond, for kids under 11 to play softball and take their swings. So when they're playing on the bigger ballparks, of course, no chance to hit one over the fence. And everybody digs the long ball. Little kids, if they get a hold of one, would like to see it sail over the fence for the home run. Versus what was the number of inside the parkers. If it got past one of the outfielders, of course, the long run to get the ball. And then, of course, they make their way around and score inside the parker. So this has been in the works for quite a long time. There was lots of uh, fundraising planning over the course of five years. Mr. Butler unfortunately passed in 2020. He had cancer. But he was the driving force behind the idea, and now it's come to pass. So there's a reflection and some commemoration of Mr. Butler at the field itself, uh, his name and his number. Oh, I had that circle anyway, somewhere here. His name is number 13. So he played all over the country, national tournaments at home, national tournaments in Alberta. He's last going off, played down in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. So that's pretty cool. That, that tiny diamond of Bjorn is the only one outside of St. John's, I'm told, in anywhere else in the province. So the Burt Butler Field, well, I'll just call it that for myself, for the this story's purpose so they got it open and going and the long ball is now there for kids under 11 if they can tag one in time All right this is a great story too Felia Landa do you know who that is Felia Landa was born in the Congo spent three years in a refugee camp in Zimbabwe before coming to St. John's at the age of 10. So there's a fellow who was coaching in uh, the Feelings Athletic Association, Ian Osmond. He was dropping off his son at a junior high soccer practice. Thought, I'll just stick around now, watch for a few minutes, see what I see out on the pitch. And he spotted young Feli Alando. After just a few minutes, said, boy, 
this guy's a super player. He went on to coach him for five, or pardon me, six years with the Felians. Alan has been recognized as one of the stars in the Atlantic uh, University scene. They actually were, he was part of a team that went on to play Sunderland, a tier three team, professional team in England. Beat them 3-0. He's now taken the pitch with the Halifax Wanderers under 23, one step closer to the Canadian Elite League and playing in the Canadian Premier League, which of course, and the quality of ball in the Canadian Premier League has really improved over the years. But Feli Alanda, Congo, three years in refugee camp, comes to St. John's, plays with the Felians, and now playing high-level under 23 ball with the Halifax Wanderers. Love that story. Also, a couple of quick notes here. Mark Lee, Mark Lee is joining the coaching staff of the St. John Sea Dogs as an assistant coach. The head coach, Travis Crickard. He was just promoted to that position. They're the reigning Memorial Cup champions. So Travis Crickard and Mark Lee, the Newfoundland and Labrador contingent behind the bench for the Memorial Cup champions. And I don't know if you're watching any World Juniors. <laughs> I'm trying to watch a bit. The Czechs beat the Americans yesterday 4-2. So that sets up the semis. Canada plays against the Czechs on Friday. The other semi is Finland and Sweden. You want to talk about it? We can do it. All right. Here's something that we're going to talk about. It was today in 1868 for the first time the colorless, odorless, non-toxic gas helium was discovered by a fellow named Norman Lockyer. He had observed a yellow line in a spectrum taken near the edge of the sun. He named it helium, of course, after the Greek god Helios, that being sun. So it's one of the most essential elements in our lives and the second most abundant element on the earth. Here's some of the strange things about helium. So it's used as a cooling medium for magnets and processors and MRI scanners, detecting leaks in air conditioning systems, scanning barcodes, for instance, at a checkout with helium-neon gas lasers, preventing bubbles from getting trapped inside fiber optic internet cables during development, for breathing mixtures for deep sea diving, the cooling and processing of silicon during the creation of semiconductor chips. That's just a few examples. And of course, some of the most notable examples that we uh, relate with helium is birthday balloons and the Goodyear blimp. For the third time in 14 years, there's a potential helium shortage. Now, it might be one of the, the most abundant elements on Earth, and it's one of the inert gases. Uh, what are some of the other inert gases I had here? Oh, neon, argon. For, it has the lowest boiling point of any element, can't be solidified by lowering the temperatures, and has all these critical uses inside a variety of electronics and otherwise. And with a shortage, possibly, just imagine, we might have to tell our grandchildren, you might not be able to get an MRI because we blew up Woody Woodpecker for the, uh, the parade, Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City. So helium first discovered today in 1868. And moving on to hydrogen. Now, had a lot of people concerned that we're nixing or dissing or anti-wind rhetoric, wind proposals on this show. I don't really think so. It's not the vibe I've been getting. Any opportunity that is meaningful and can see legitimate returns to the province can protect crown lands, can protect the flora fauna, can protect the moose and caribou. Anything that can be done properly is something we have to carefully consider. So when questions are being asked, it's not in an effort to be anti-wind power, anti-green hydrogen. It's just that we've learned the hard way that if we don't ask, sometimes we find out when it's too late exactly the mistakes that were made. One of the issues, you know, we can talk about the 164 wind turbines, and we can talk about what a royalty looks like. But one thing that has not been considered is because even with the 164 wind turbines, World Energy GH2 says they have the potential to triple the size of the project. Here's one thing that's been left out. is just how much fresh water do they need? 
if you look around, like we we have a bunch of uh, boiler advisories and what have you, but in Canada there's an abundance of fresh water, not necessarily potable water, but fresh water. The world of water, the most precious commodity on earth, has become exactly that, a commodity. It's being privatized. And that's in nobody's best interest beyond the companies that are privatized. Like, for instance, Nestle, uh, Nestle on the west coast of, the, of uh, North America. So much access for very little money to the fresh water that all they do is turn around, put it in a plastic bottle, sell it to me and you at the gas station. So water is a big question mark here. And not to say that this project is not viable, should not be approved. It's just in an effort to get some facts on the table. I was thinking about this particular issue yesterday, and someone actually curiously sent me an email overnight talking about that specific concern of his. It's just how much water is going to be needed. And if you look around, they're starting to sell water on stock markets. You know, I mean, there's so many places on the face of the earth where they don't have fresh water to drink. And here we are. I mean, we're always going to need energy, whether it comes in the form of gray, blue, or green hydrogen. But I just thought that was an interesting side note to add to the conversation. If you want to talk about any of those proposals, even just the one in Port of Port, especially if you're a resident of that area, we'd love to have you on. Shifting gears. There was a public service announcement came from the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary about a potential spate or spike in the number of date rape attempts, specifically in downtown St. John's. When that kind of PSA comes out, justifiably, the folks at the Newfoundland Labrador Sexual Assault Crisis Prevention Center say they may indeed think now, because of this uh, commentary coming from the police, that there might indeed be a spike. Now, for starters, when the RNC comes out and warns the perpetrators, if you're a garbage human being who's willing to... uh, throw some rohypnol or whatever it is into someone's drink, whether it be a man or a woman, then you're a piece of trash and you're not going to pay heed to warnings coming from the RNC. But it's important to put it out there. So someone also said to me, you know, are the RNC really that blind and will just warn the perpetrators? I think there's a reason behind that. I seem to recall that they put out a warning some years back and not focusing on the perpetrator, but talking about keeping an eye on your drink and as go out with buddies and keep an eye on each other's drink and that kind of stuff, which came across and the pushback was, that's blaming the victim. So let's make sure, you know, for me, I can only speak for myself. Anything that we talk about on this front, I would never consider blaming the victim, ever. It doesn't even make any sense because you're out having some fun, socializing, maybe having a drink of whatever, from water all the way through a martini, and someone, when you turn your back, they drop a pill or some substance in your drink. The impact can be pretty quick. You can feel paralyzed, powerless, disassociated from your body. You may not even have a recollection of the assault. Now, there's no reported sexual assaults because of these most recent druggings. And it is important for the bar staff to be very aware of what's going on around them, to ensure that nobody's walking by an unattended drink and dropping something in it. And no, we're not going to blame the victims on this program. And yes, we can indeed warn the perpetrators, but in combination, we've got to make sure it's safer for anybody, man or woman, to go to these bars. Now, there's also a significant drug problem in some of the bars anyway, beyond the date rape drugs. But yes, let's warn the perpetrators that it won't be tolerated. And yes, let's look out for each other. 
that's not an effort to blame the victim. That's just in the hope, just from my perspective, in the hope to reduce the numbers of incidents where this can indeed happen. So if you're at the Newfoundland Labrador Sexual Assault Crisis Prevention Center and want to talk about the issue this morning, we can do it because before long, you don't even know what happened. A friend of mine was on the receiving end of one of these date rape drugs and thankfully got away unscathed. You know, immediately she said she was so dizzy she'd only had a half a drink. And she went to the jukebox in this instance, and when she came back, that was the case. And that wasn't even here. That was in Halifax. But anyway, you want to take it on? Let's do it. Also, speaking of garbage human beings, there's a fairly well, widely distributed TikTok video that unfortunately was taped here in this province. And we can't be so naive to think that we don't have issues with whether it be sexual violence, which we know domestically and otherwise is a problem. Also, when we talk about racism. Now, as you've heard me say, when we have conversations about immigration, say for instance, if someone talks about security and vetting and knowing who people are when they try to enter the country, just based on safety, some people are so quick to immediately say, you're a racist which means that the conversation ends right there. But this particular TikTok video is unmistakable. It's not me branding it as racist and hateful and homophobic. It's the person being filmed. So pulls up, there's a couple of fellas down over the hill. I don't know, they're, they're not white anyway. That's all I know, we don't see them on camera. So pulls over and decides that he's just gonna roll down his window and scream white power. Right? Then goes on to admit that he's a racist. He was accused of being one. He says, yes, I am a racist. I love my own people. And then continues with the racist tropes. Go back to your own country. That kind of stuff. And then throws in a little bit of homophobia for good measure. And rubs his eyes and, you know, the whole fake and rubbing away tears. And taunts them as, a, you know, saying liberal, liberal, liberal. I don't know if he's trying to admit that his political ideology is based on racism, but that's what it kind of comes across as. So this guy is a nuisance. It's better for all of us, newcomers, locals, born and breds, to see it, recognize it, talk about it, and call it out. Why wouldn't we? And so that guy, he's been named, identified. I don't know if it's absolutely confirmed his particular name, so I'm going to leave that out of it because it's almost neither here nor there. It's the fact that it happens and the fact that that's bad, and it has to be called out. Why would we turn a blind eye to that stuff? He said it out loud, white power. And if you think you're representing the master species by getting on like that, buddy, you're sadly mistaken. To be honest, you know, not to go too far over the top, but you're just a loser. Right? These two people doing nothing, standing there. And they have to put up with that, and that is going around. And the conversation can indeed be unwelcomed in some corners, but that's the case. That's what's happening. And to not call it out, to not speak to it, I think would be... Just turning a blind eye, deaf ear, and what happens then? It just becomes nature of the beast, status quo. We never get any improvements. We never see any real mature open conversations, and we need them, even though they're difficult. And yes, you can ask questions about immigration and have real conversations. It does not make you automatically a racist. But we know it when we see it. We know it when we hear it. And we especially know it and understand it when someone says, yes, I am a racist. Imagine. I don't know how people have been so emboldened, but anyway, sip of coffee here, let's settle down. Moving on. So we talk about all the stresses in the healthcare system. And trying to keep the numbers of human resources there so that the wait times aren't so extraordinary, emergency rooms and otherwise. But there's three specific emergency rooms in Eastern Health. They're struggling to keep the door open. 
So whether it be in St. Lawrence, Bonavista, and Whitburn, Whitburn's been closed. I think we're into our seventh week there. Together, those three emergency rooms have been scheduled for 79 days of closure since July 1st. Of course, frustrating and aggravating and maddening for people close by. Factor in the, the fact that you might not be able to get an ambulance, the distance that they have to travel, like from Bonavista to Clarenville, well, how long is that? Hour and a half to the closest ER? Whitburn to try to make your way to St. John's? This is a good spin. Might not have an ambulance, might have to take it upon your own accord to come in all this way for an emergency room visit, but just imagine. There's been lots of policies brought forward. And we can take them on based on your opinion if they're going to make the positive, immediate changes needed, improvements needed. I think some of the policies really make a lot of sense. But can they deal with the immediacy of the concern? And we needn't nitpick whether or not you think it's a crisis or not. The folks in these predicaments, they think it's a crisis. Consequently, it is a crisis. So we can tackle that and anything in the healthcare world, if you are so inclined. Uh, St. Gabriel's Hall. We've been talking about the sell-off of the Roman Catholic, uh, the St. John's Roman Catholic Episcopal Corporation assets to be sold. Of course, to compensate the victims of Mount Cashel. This is a good question being asked by the folks down in Marystown about St. Gabriel's Hall. The parish hall and the 107-year-old heritage building it's also on the chopping block. But they're asking this fundamental question. What gives the Episcopal Corporation any title to it? They didn't build it. The locals built it. St. Gabriel's Hall sits about 400 people. They operate as a gathering place, a theater, conference room, music school, cafe, veterans memorial. The church didn't build it. The locals built it. So I think that's a fair question. Look, we all need to see the victims be compensated based on the Supreme Court ruling and what's right and just. But how and why did the corporation lay claim to it? What's their role in it? I think they're asking a fair question down at St. Gabriel's Hall. They're trying to go through GoFundMe to raise the money to buy it. But anyway, I want to talk about it. We can do it. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? Let's get her going. All right. Uh, for the purpose of information... Four additional deaths, COVID-related deaths, reported when the COVID hub was updated yesterday. 18 people in hospital, one in critical care. We wish them all a speedy recovery and condolences to those of you who may have lost someone with a COVID-related death. And then, you know, with the unmasking announcement that was made a couple of days ago, and if there's going to be any move in the pre-K to 12 system, the time is now for an announcement, whether it be status quo, to talk about ventilation, to talk about whatever, is going to be any of these issues needed to be broached in that system or on Twitter. Where VOCM Open Line follows, sir. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Let's get a tune going before we come back and speak with you while I threw away all my stuff. All right, so for the first time in history, 1977, the police performed as a trio. They were indeed a four-piece band prior to that. It was a guy named, oh, what's his name? Madriani? Giovanni? So it was Andy Summers, the human metronome, Stuart Copeland, and Sting, of course, are the police. In 1978, on their debut album, the third and final single from Outlanders, The More, was So Lonely. When we come back, don't keep me lonely. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let us begin on line number two. Good morning, Diane. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Before I say what I want to say, I want to people to know I'm not a racist in any way, shape, or form. Always a, an interesting way to start, but go ahead. And uh, I'm just calling about that MHAs discussed because we didn't change the name Colonial House. The Colonial Building? I suppose you're talking about Layla Evans, are you? Yes. Okay. 
it's not just them that have history in Canada. The indigenous, I mean. Mm-hmm. Many generations of Newfoundlanders fought for a lot of things through that building. And half of what happened here in Newfoundland was made decisions there. Okay. So the way I'm, look, I'm definitely not prejudiced, but listening to the word indigenous all the time is driving me crazy. Why? When someone comes to Canada, what are we, who lives here? The indigenous and the rest of us? Mm-hmm. I mean, the governments, after governments since I was a child, have been throwing money at these indigenous people instead of sending life coaches in, making sure they have a decent place to live, and then show them how to live. Well, we've been trying that. Now, that's come in many forms, hasn't it? It, You know, it came in the form of residential schools, which was atrocious. It's come in the form of housing that's been built, even in, we'll talk about the north of Labrador. There's been all sorts of supports added. But uh, just to get back to a, a statement you made, to hear the word indigenous is driving you crazy, why? Like, does it make you feel like someone's because trying to le- embarrass you or to no, make you feel bad? Like or that. Nothing like that. Well, what is it then? Just fed up hearing it. For the last four or five years, every news tin you put on, every item in the paper, indigenous, indigenous, indigenous. You said they put them up in Labrador. They wanted to go to that spot in Labrador. Hmm. The government didn't put in artesian wells, but they certainly gave money that they could afford to do it. Now, that money was given out to the top chiefs in higher pay grades. One of them paid himself a million dollars, another one three million dollars. How many artesian wells can you build for that? You could probably build a lot. But, I, like, I suppose I've just become a bit numb to some things that bother others. Like, when I hear the stories, what I think is, well, I might as well read the story to hear from an indigenous perspective because it's easy enough for me to think what I think. But the name, say, for instance, if we just stick with the name of the building, Colonial building doesn't have a negative connotation for me and my people and my Irish, white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. But it does have a different connotation for other people, including indigenous Canadians. So that's where I think I choose to have a look at the story because it doesn't bother me because it hasn't had a negative impact on my life. But for those who it may, I think it's just important to hear their voices because it wouldn't matter to me a row of beans if had to change the name. Now, I think Todd Russell, another indigenous person, he's talking about the fact that if we leave the name of the building the way it is and to leave Red Indian Lake the way it is, as long as we have the curriculum and the awareness of what that words, those words mean in this case colonial what it means to indigenous people tell the history accurately then he's fine with it so there's two schools of thought if you're an indigenous person or an indigenous leader some will be disappointed some will be outraged some will be understanding and accepting and just hope that we're telling the full story because sometimes the full story has been left out here you know what they call yeah. the what the whitewashing of the story so like i just choose maybe it's just a personal choice i choose not to be sick of or tired of or put off when i hear a story about one thing or another indigenous peoples immigrants guns uh lbt lbtg issues like I, I just choose to try to hear what the people who are in those communities think and say because i understand what i think i know what i say but that doesn't mean that I've got it all figured out or all right. That's why I just try to listen to the stories versus get sick of it simply because of one word in the story. No, I'm just not saying that. I'm just saying indigenous. If people knew, people do know how much help they get. Well, for instance, when Marbush and Labrador City mines started up, there was a village in between those two mines. 
indigenous people, or they were called back then Indians, had first choice at any job they wanted at those mines. The mines built houses instead of what they were living in. I don't know what they were living in. By the end of the winter, all the houses were burnt. Everyone had moved into the longhouse, and they had half the inside that burnt for firewood. And everything that goes on in Labrador since, they've been given first chance. Their education is paid for. Right, that's a federal issue. They want to be traditional and go up in the woods and hunt and whatever. They get skidoos. They bring them up in the woods. When it runs out of gas, they go back to the government and get another one. Well, that's not necessarily how anything works. But the issue with regard... That should be how it shouldn't work. Well, I, I, I don't know why people are so staunch on that issue. Just Let me just add to the conversation. You know, that what you're referring to is benefits agreements, you know, for who gets hired first. I don't think many people have included, say, for instance, jobs at the Marystown shipyard, jobs at one mine or another on the island. Benefits agreements have extended beyond Indigenous Canadians. People in the region living closest by want the jobs first, and justifiably so. So why do you think it's different if someone in Labrador, Indigenous or otherwise, thinks they should be prioritized for being hired in a project where they live versus down in Marystown, for instance, at the shipyard where they wanted to see themselves hired first, or at the St. Lawrence Floor Spire mine. They did but the same thing, I'm but that doesn't bother Patty. people. They no, it's not what you're saying. You're saying the exact opposite. Like what? How do you figure it out? Because you said it was a problem that they were given priority to be hired, but no, we, we've it done it all over the place. I said the problem is they were given first chance to have jobs at those mines, and not one of them took them up on it. I don't know that to be true. I have no idea. Well, I do because I was there. And the indigenous people in Newfoundland are most certainly not treat it like the indigenous people out west that again for me it's it's not it's quite difficult for me to say how someone is treated because i'm not that person but i will say and to your point when i first left here to move to alberta there was a much different relationship and hateful relationship between quote-unquote white Canadians, non-white Canadians, and especially indigenous people. I had never really seen it like that before, but it it, it was... to my stomach out with. It was unbelievable. It was, you could taste it in the air. It was real and it was endless. I didn't really experience that around here, but of course, again... It isn't around here. Well, I I think it probably is. Well, to a small extent that we don't know about, but not like out west. I don't know, but it's not a it's not a game where no one's trying to win the who's the most racist crowd game. So, but when it's part of the conversation, to have it openly and honestly, hopefully, will make it better for all. Because I can't possibly understand how someone thinks and feels if I'm not in their their shoes, whether it be as a woman, whether it be as a homosexual, whether it be as an indigenous person, whether it be as an immigrant, because I'm neither of them. So until well, I'm willing to hear them out, then I'll never be able to understand what they think and feel and hear and see and how people refer to them and talk to them and look at them. I don't know because I'm not that person. So that's just how I think about you stuff. You just take Newfoundland as a whole. Sure. The island of Newfoundland. Okay. For over 500 years, people from 70 or 80 countries or more have come here from whatever country they were born in. Sure. And led a good life, started their business or went to work for whatever. No racism, no one was saying anything to them. All of a sudden, since this past four or five years, everyone is in an uproar about prejudice. 
well, I don't know. I, like, I don't know about uproar stuff, right? And th- when you're, if you're saying, you know, 500 years ago. I've never heard anyone in this city say anything nasty to another person. Well. Because they're Chinese or. Sure, or we just talked black. about it off the top of the show. There's a video circulating that is quite clearly the epitome of hateful racism. And it's not because I've ta- called that person racist. They admitted they were one. They said they were one. So oh, it's happening. Yeah, that video last night. He's just an idiot. He is an idiot, but he's not alone. That's, I think, the important part of this. It's not to pretend that every white person is built in, died in the wool racist. I don't think that. I don't think it's true. I don't think that's part of a legitimate conversation. But it's out there. And so... I myself, I'm not against anybody. I'm personally not. Like, you made reference to 500 years ago. It was pretty homogenous white crowd. Everyone coming from England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales. And, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of diversity in the community. There was uh, 60 to 70 countries represented here in 1583. You're going, to, you're going to tell me that the vast, the predominant majority, the, the unwhelming majority, were not from the I'm UK? I'm not saying the majority. I wasn't there to see it. But there were no. 50 to 60 countries represented here fishing. And I learned that in my history book. I guess we, we do know about the history regarding who was fishing here. That's something that's true. Uh, Diane, last comment for you before I do have to take a break and move on to another call. Last comment to you will be to that MAJ. Get your people some of that money and get them life coaches and give them decent places to live. And stop giving them free stuff like giving them a free education that they get that I never had a chance to get. What is it about what you didn't get versus what someone no, else no, did? No, no, it's not about what I didn't get. See, Patty, you have a way of twisting words. But you just, I just that was the exact words I that you said, used. I said for her to make sure they take advantage of that opportunity to have a free education. Okay, but... And look, then I said hold on. I did not have enough opportunity to have. Right, but the, so then uh, people do this to me all the time. I think they're, you know, maybe get frustrated because I can do what I do. But I didn't twist your words. It's exactly what you said, Diane. So it's kind of unfair if you tell me I twisted your words. You said they get a free education, you didn't have the chance. I said they get an education, so you didn't, so that's a problem. Then you tell me I'm twisting your words. I mean, how, how is that fair? How is that part of a conversation? Well, I've given well, you lots of slack here this morning. Go back a bit. When you said, were telling me, I said they get a free education and I didn't have that opportunity. What did you say about that? That's exactly what you said. I just parroted back exactly what you said. I didn't add anything. I didn't take anything out. You said what you said. I just put it back out there. Like, oh, Well, anyway, the indigenous people, and I'm glad for them, they do have a lot of uh, chances in life about a lot of things that either they don't know about or no one's coaching them the right way. And there's also generational trauma and black parts of our history that we... If we don't add in all the factors, then we're only having a one-sided whatever people's agenda is or their leanings are. But that, I just like... Let's include all of it. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, Indigenous people want to live up in the woods and do their thing. Some of them do. Some of them live in the east end of town. That's right. Uh, Black people, their people were enslaved, but that stopped 200 years ago. But we still hear about it every day. Well, yeah. Now, what about Newfoundlanders? The generations of fishermen, miners, loggers who worked 
daylight till dark and sometimes more. And at the end of the month, they owe money out to the people they work and for. And we talk we talk about that, though, Diane. We talk about the merchant mentality. We talk about those things all the time. Why? Because well, it's part of our history. It's part of, of what happened. It's part of the history. That's right. Part of the history. We don't live in that anymore. But it was part of what framed and formed who people are, where they come from, their own yeah. personal family history. All these things are part of the conversation. My grandfather got the left hat and his beat out of him, right? As Catholics persecuted. Do we understand it? Do we understand why and how it happened? Do we learn from it? Of course we do. Do we learn from the merchant mentality and how that's been a real downside and a black mark on some of the hard working families in this problems? Of course we do. Should okay, and will we talk still going on with some of the It is. That's why we talk though. about it. And that's why we still continue to talk about things regarding the indigenous peoples because it does happen. It's part yeah, of it. Well, we're not shoving it all down everybody's throat. Having a story about the colonial building is shoving nothing down anybody's throat. It's just part well, of it. Like, it, Am I shoving it down people's throat when we talk about uh, emergency rooms? No, we're talking about information. Am I shoving it down people's throat when we talk about uh, hydrogen product projects? No, we're just talking about things that are actually happening out there. People can form their own opinions. People can well, offer them on this program. And the indigenous, and, instead of saying uh, colonialism, why don't they say uh, colonization? Well, it's, I think that's splitting a hair of the same word, the same uh, root of a word. Well, so, but you know, the colonial house is not colonialism. No, but that's how some people hear and understand the history. That that's the only point that I'm last lastly and going I'm to make. And I'm tired of indigenous pulling down statues and changing names and doing. It, it wasn't all. just Leave indigenous people doing that. work on their own life. Okay, Diane. Bye, Patty. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. Break time. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I live in the West End of uh, St. John's, and um, I'd like to inform the public that there's uh, five masked individuals going around in the nighttime breaking and entering into the houses? Well, I mean, the unfortunate reality is that is so unbelievably common in this neck of the woods in particular. I don't know what it's like in other parts of the province, but what are you seeing specifically? What do you What do you know? Uh, on nextdoorapp.com, uh, the lady, one of the neighbors, has um, the footage showing the five individuals. Uh, first, they will go in and try to unlock the door going into your house. And then the five of them will surround the house and go by and uh, see if they can get into your windows and your doors. Uh, one of my neighbours had his guns, his ammunition, his tools and his jewellery stolen on uh, July 29th and also again on August 6th. Boy, oh boy. I mean, there was not so long ago, there was people uh, going around our neighborhood checking car doors, but it was like one or two people as opposed to trying to get into your home. Because if people are desperate enough like that, they're willing to break into your home with a home invasion, with you in the bunk. So it's scary, isn't it? That is correct, yeah. And uh, one of the vehicles was actually stolen, and another neighbor had uh, the car ignition uh, taken out of the vehicle. Okay. You know, there's lots of, you know, the police will advise folks, for instance, you know, to not only lock your vehicle, but don't leave anything in it that might be of interest because someone who's willing to break into your house is willing to bash out the passenger side window in your truck and steal whatever they see, your briefcase or your leather jacket or what have you. So try to leave nothing in the vehicles. It's unfortunate that we got to do all these things to protect ourselves versus to ensure there's more police presence and neighborhood watches to make sure that it's an unattractive environment for these burglars and nuisances as they roam around 
around trying to rob everything under the sun. It's just really, it's getting away from us too, isn't it? Yes, uh, like I say, the window was open in one of those houses and they actually tried to party and open with the person in the bed. And like I say, uh, if anybody wants to see the footage, it's on the uh, Nextdoor app. The actual footage is uh, one of the individuals had it that um, you can see the actual guys going around the house or the individuals going around the house. So people might want to look at that next door, that app, in case they can identify these vehicles or may know of these people. Mm. But uh, it just, just to let you know, there's five individuals all together to go around the house. And then they'll, it's like I say, it's not very good for five people. Well, I'm glad you're telling us about it so that folks in the West End can be aware that it is happening out there. Um, where did you say I could see the footage? Uh, nextdoor.com the individuals that came in our neighbourhood that we know of uh, came in on July 29th between 3 and 5am and also on August 6th at 12.30pm Thanks for the heads up here this morning hopefully this will have people on alert enough to keep their eyes open Yes, I appreciate that. Like I say, just uh, let the public know to be wary of our individuals in the time. I appreciate your call. Thank Thanks you. for this. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, and of course, we don't need... Uh, pardon me. What do I say here? People, of, of course, nothing slows you down like a cop car. No one dissuades the criminal, whether it be walking the beat downtown or cruising around neighborhoods, so that, that these people out there, the gang of five and or the pair that were roaming our neighborhood checking all the vehicle doors or anyone else out there who's willing to break into your shed, all of these things, I know that the resources aren't in place for law enforcement to cover every inch of your community, my community, or my neighborhood. I do wonder what the value might be of more and more in the way of the neighborhood watch and signage of, and not for people to be out roaming the streets like the guardian angels in New York City, but you know, people understanding that to protect my home, I can do what I can, but if, knowing that my neighbor is also keeping a watchful eye on my park, on my home, on my vehicle, we're aware of what's happening. Everyone understands that your safety is, has a direct relationship with my safety. Protection of your property has a direct relationship with the protection of your property so i don't know where that falls in because we don't want people out there having to police their own neighborhoods but just keep your eyes open and do as this lady did you see something and you want to make your neighbors aware of it easy way to do it is on the big platforms whether it be like on this program or on your uh, neighborhood facebook group or what have you but keep your eyes peeled uh let's try to get back on track with the breaks and when we come back david wants to talk about the lack of suitable apartments for seniors in the metro region don't go away welcome back to the show uh let's go to line number three david you're on the air Hello, Mr. Daly. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Not so bad, thank you. Uh, I'd like to call about uh, housing for seniors. Okay. And there's a lot of people here at Connection for Seniors looking for housing. And it's hard to come by. Okay. Let me start with what might seem like a very basic question. What is a suitable apartment for a senior? So are we talking ground level apartments? Are we talking about some of the support tools inside, like handles and bathrooms or whatever? What do you talk about when you say uh, suitable for a senior? What I'm talking about is just one bedroom, kitchen, living room, bathroom, hallway, your own entrance, either on the ground floor or basement, you know? Okay, yeah. I'm here. For, I'm here in almost four months now, and I can't get nothing whatsoever. 
It's been a real battle out there. Uh, just for some context for folks, uh, last year, vacant, this time last year, vacancy rates in and around St. John's was somewhere around uh, almost 8%. Now it's around 3%. The cost for the rental units is through the roof. You know, there's a variety of reasons why that's happened, but it has made the fight, the battle against the apartment more vicious than ever. I don't even know if that's the right word, but more competitive than ever, more difficult than ever. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. And, uh, you know, the Premier said he was going to build some uh, one-bedroom apartments. It would be a good idea to build one-bedroom bungalows. It's not like there's no land out there. Yeah, I think there was an announcement between the provincial and federal governments not long ago about affordable housing. Uh, many of those units were for uh, seniors, if I remember the story correctly, and I'll have to go back and have a look. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, and these are issues because affordable housing and suitable housing is different based on who people are. Like, it's one thing for me, my wife, and two children. I need a certain type of housing. You, as a senior, you need a certain type of housing. People with complex needs, they need a certain type of housing. Folks with disabilities, so and the story goes on and on. So it has been very difficult. Out there, David. Where are you living now? I'm living in Connection for Seniors. I'm here for four months now. And how is it? Oh, uh, well, it's pretty good, I must okay. say. You know, people are nice here and everything. But I just turned 64 in this shelter and almost worked all my life and can't get a housing apartment or I can't get a vacant apartment that I would like. I understand the the battle or the struggle that you're having, uh, David. Uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Would you like to add anything, anything else? No, I just like if anyone call in, you have some vacant apartments, would you call Connection for Seniors? And just ask for you? Uh, well, you can ask for me or ask for Noel. Okay. Okay, I'd be gladly appreciate it. I'm, <laughs> you know, when you're living in uh, a shelter, like that is low down, right? That's uh, what I figure. Right? Worked on my life, right? I understand that for sure. So, you know what? Every now and then when we've had these types of conversations, we've sometimes been able to connect people with uh, property owners or someone ha- all of a sudden has a vacancy. So you never know. If they contact us, we'll contact uh, you, David. How's that? Yes. Now, everyone here got a housing subsidy, too, right? Okay. She will pay over half the rent. Okay. And, you know, gladly appreciate it, Patty, if, if someone would call in, right? We'll see what we can do. If they call us, we'll call you. Yeah. Now, Newfoundland Labrador Housing, I have to call them a lot now. And he got nothing, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, the question we have for them is not only uh, about the wait list and what have you, but just how many units. We asked the minister responsible, John Abbott, when he was on this show not long ago, just how many units does Newfoundland Labrador Housing Corporation have vacant that are still on the list to be renovated or upgraded or repaired or whatever it is? We're still trying to get the firm numbers, but there are tons. There's tons, and that could really help. Yes. Now, Patty is actually 20 on Livingstone Street. But see, they won't give a single person a two-bedroom. Mm-hmm. But it'd be better for them to give them a two-bedroom and live on the dead there. Actually, you're getting nothing for them now. 
Yeah, well, now that you put it in my mind, I'm going to have to go back to the housing corp and see where those numbers are because that's an important part of this equation. Because if we've got vacant units out there and people are waiting and looking for somewhere to live, well, we've got a corporation that deals with that, so let's see where we are. I'll try to get those numbers right away. Uh, David, you say you've worked all your life and find yourself in this particular shelter now. What kind of stuff did you do uh, for a living when you were working? Well, I was a painter and plaster with housing. I uh, got a trade at Templeton uh, when I was 17. Okay. Painting and plastering. Like, I wouldn't even mind moving into a little apartment that needs a bit of work on it. I don't mind at all because I am a painter and plasterer. Well, I tell you one thing plastering is a real art. Oh, yes. It's no sweat to shag up plaster job. No. I've been at it since I'm 18, see? Okay. Yeah. Okay, then, Patty, thank you very much. My pleasure, sir. Take care, David. God bless. Same to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, plastering. <laughs> All you have, even if it's a little tiny job, you know, like down in the storage room, don't need to go get a pro, something ding the wall, I'll plaster that up, you know, or we want to paint and fix a few dings. Yeah. No sweat to perform a terrible plaster job. And so the apartment issue, look, you know, with the vacancy rates the way they are, and even what we call affordable housing, right, 30% of your net income. And for the median wage, I think the number around here is they're using $650 for affordable housing. Eek. Well, what can you get for $650? And so whether it be people saw the real estate market pretty hard, how does a landlord decide to cash out? The number of rentals that were transferred or translated or moved into Airbnb units, for instance. So there's lots of reasons why the vacancy rate and more and more people moving to this part of the province. You know, the population has grown in Northeast Avalon. So it's all contributed to what has been a real battle. I remember the story that one lady had an apartment, basement apartment for rent out in Paradise. She put it up before she knew it. She had 400 people wanting to come see it. 400 people looking for one basement apartment. Amazing stuff. How are we doing on the telephone, Dave? When we come back, lots of show to speak with you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And welcome back. Let's go line number four. Alistair, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. Yes, I'm calling this morning, Patty. Uh, one of your previous callers, I think her name was Diane. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to let Diane know that I support her completely. I'm getting sick of all of this... Uh, uh, native and indigenous things over and over again. How does it affect your life? It it doesn't affect my life, Patty. But when I see things, and and I'm not a young young man, when I see things that the names of lakes and buildings and Discovery Day has all got to be changed, statutes being tore down. Now I live in in a community that's got a fairly large indigenous uh, population, and in the 80 years that I've been around here, I haven't seen this discrimination that everybody is talking about. I didn't see it in Shefferville when I was there. I didn't see it in Baffin Island when I was there. So is it true or or, or is it just a figmentation of imagination sometimes? Well, uh, okay. I've got good indigenous friends, and I will say one thing that the true indigenous that was here when I was growing up, they're not as active as the ones who came on in the last, I'll say, 10 years. So, yes, give the indigenous what they deserve, just like everybody else. 
make it equal, and that's all there is to it. I don't think the people, I don't think the discrimination is there right now, but I'm telling you, Patty, if governments keep on the way they are, promoting, promoting right from the Pope down, you're going to find there is going to be discrimination. Wait now, by trying I to... I re- that's just what it's breeding. Hold it's on, just breeding Alistair. discrimination. Hold on, a couple of things. So because you don't see it, that means it doesn't exist? Oh, no. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think you see that, that, that much either. Now, you tell me about all the discrimination that you're seeing in St. John's and Newfoundland. I just watched a two-minute video yesterday, which was the actual epitome of racism. And it could be construed no other way. Why? Because the person in the video called himself a racist. He decided to yell white power at people who weren't white. I mean, so it does happen. How so common it is... you think that he's right? Pardon? What makes this person that you're talking about, what makes you think that what he sees is, is right? I don't know. I'm not sure what that question means. Well, you said that you watched a video yesterday, I thought you said, where That's the guy right. was... So how else can I see this? So let me just describe it, and it's really quite something. There's two people minding their own business uh, in a neighborhood in Conception Bay South. Somebody rolls up in a car, and unprovoked, no one says a damn thing. He rolls down his window, starts yelling white power at non-white people. They accuse him of being a racist. He says, yes, I am a racist, and goes on with the standard racist tropes. Go back to your own country and X, Y, and Z. So it does happen. We know it does. How common it is, I don't know. And again, I'm a white hair. I'm a white, blue-eyed, blonde kid. So do I see it or feel it? Am I on the receiving end of it? No. Are there people in the community who are not like me, whether they be newcomers from the Middle East or from Africa or indigenous peoples? Do they see it and feel it and hear it? What's up for them to tell us? I can't speak for everybody. I only know my personal life circumstance. If I hear stories like it and I see videos with my own two eyes that are so clear and obvious, it just says that it does happen. How common it is, I don't know. But so the right people you, to ask are the people who might be on the receiving end, not so me. So, are, are you trying to say that that guy in Conception Bay South or somewhere yesterday that you saw, yeah. He forms the majority of the people in New in Newfoundland. I never said anything of the sort, like not even close. No. I never said anything like that. Well, I don't know why people try to do this to me. It's not going to work because for a lot of real reasons as a professional broadcaster, number one. I didn't say that, Alistair. So why do we always have to take things to the nth degree? Nobody said it's everybody. And these conversations aren't intended to make my children feel bad about being white. It's not about that stuff. It's about if we can acknowledge what's happening and we talk about it common or uh, politely, respectfully, maturely, then we'll probably make things a little bit easier and better. So I didn't insinuate that every, and I said this to Diane too, I do not think that every white Canadian is a dyed-in-the-wool racist. I don't. Right? I don't. I don't Why would I? I think they are either, but they're going to be if it keeps pushing. And, and Patty, tell me this. Okay. Why, why is there so much objection to the colonial building changing the name or to the proposal to, uh, to uh, change it? Uh, Jesus, uh, I just can't understand it. I'm, uh, it's because it doesn't impact can you. Be left. I mean, you've got to change the name of the lakes. You've got to change, change, change. There, that's not discrimination. Just because we got a building called the Colonial Building, uh, I, so call it the Indigenous Building. If that makes everybody happy, go ahead. I couldn't care less. But you do care. I don't. Not really. I don't care. Now, I really don't, and I'm too far in life to care. Okay. But I'm going to tell you now that 
too much being pushed down your throat every single day. I mean, you turn on the news, Mr. Trudeau's coming, and he's hugging and kissing, and I mean, they got the Pope running around with snowshoes on, and well, so what? So what? I mean, well, anyway, it don't bother you, Patty. That's that's well, th- fine. There's lots of stuff that and don't bother me. You got your opinion, and you got your way of feeling the way you feel. You're entitled to that. But please, the white man in Newfoundland has got a right also. Yeah, but see, this is where I get really confused. Is I didn't instigate any of this stuff. <laughs> like none of it. This is no, not, not my doing. You did, but I mean, I'm just making my case, and you see things different than me. That's fine. Well, it's be- I can you know why? That. You know why? Because the the word colonial or a statue of John A. MacDonald or Red Indian Lake or uh, Langevin Hall, they don't. Uh, they don't say anything negative or make me feel bad about something. Why? Because I wasn't on the receiving end of any of that stuff, which is why I sometimes think it's better for me to hear from people who were impacted. And let's hear what they have to say. It doesn't bother me because it doesn't impact me. It doesn't affect me. It isn't part of my history. It isn't part of my family's history. It isn't part of my lineage, but it's part of someone else's. That's why I'm happy and willing to listen to them. We talk about anything and everything on this program. Whatever I instigate and wherever, whatever I bring forward as my own opinion, I anticipate pushback, whether it be from you or Diane or anybody else. It's how the world works. Uh, like, there's a bunch of things going on in the world. The hyper-focus on guys like Elon Musk. I'm so sick of it. You know what I do? I ignore it. Right? Just ignore it. If people don't want to talk about LGBTQ issues, okay. You don't want to talk about indigenous peoples or racism? All right. There's nothing I can say or do about that. But when someone calls to instigate the conversation, not me, when someone calls to instigate it, I have to say what I think as purpose of conversation. If I didn't, then we just might as well have a trained monkey here pressing buttons so anyone can call in and say whatever they like and no one pushes back or no one engages in the conversation. I think that's a waste of time. I prefer to have a conversation. That's just me. Anyway... It doesn't bother me one way or the other, Patty. The only thing I'm going to close off with is that Diane had the guts to call in there this morning. And what she said, I've seen. And I've got nothing against anyone. And I've got as good friends as indigenous as anyone. But it's getting a little bit much as far as I'm concerned. Diane, I think that I've got a right to voice my concerns. Has anyone said you don't, considering the fact you're on no, live radio? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, but I'm telling you, if you go on the opposite side, it's just like Diane this morning. She was on the opposite side of you. It's just like me. I'm on the opposite side of you. And? So now, you're entitled to yours, but I'm entitled to mine. Have I not treated you with respect? Oh, yes, you are. You are. I'm not saying that one little bit. So why does it matter if we have a different opinion? It doesn't matter to me. Well, okay, very good. Maybe there will be some more uh, conversation on this. I got no doubt there will. But anyway, Patty, I I really think that I was entitled to it. And uh, it's not a thing that you're allowed to say very much of when you... If if you go on the side of the indigenous, you're fine. But you can get in a row pretty quick if you happen to go on the opposite side. Well, curiously, we're 75 minutes into the program, and that includes the breaks in the news, and two calls have had the same position. So people say, you know what, I'm entitled to my opinion. The proof is in the pudding. Your opinion has been offered live on the program with respectful conversation coming the other way. So people say, well, I can't say this, I can't say that. Well, you can say it. You know, there's a difference between having a conversation and people going on rants. And so I'm happy to have it. And if people don't like my opinion, 
opinion, that's fine. I'm not here to please everybody. If I was, I'd be wasting my bloody time. So we just have conversations. People can take whatever side they like. They can maybe learn from something you said or learn from something I said. It's up to them. I can't listen for everybody. I can only speak and have a conversation like I'm trying to have with you. Well, that's fine, but I only called in this morning for the very simple fact that when Diane was on giving her thoughts, mm-hmm. it was not hard to see that you was certainly not supporting Diane in any way, shape, or form. Do I owe the caller support? I'm sorry, Patty. That's the way that I saw it. Now, you can't fu- tell me the way I saw it. I saw it the way I saw it. But what I said in response and to Alistair is, do I owe every caller an agreement? I mean, is that what we people want out of a show like this? Is no. you call, you say something, I say, yes, sir, buddy, you're 100% right. Next caller says the exact opposite. Yes, sir, buddy, you are 100% right. We're just having conversations. You're yeah. doing a good job, Patty. I'm I'm not questioning I'm not trying to win all. or lose, right? I'm just all trying I'm to saying talk. is, is that I'm sure when Diane got off, that she had a feeling that, whew, that wasn't accepted very, very well. Well, I just called in and exercised my right to tell Diane that she wasn't alone. And I don't think that hurts anything. It doesn't hurt me, and she's not alone. That's part of the conversation that we're having, Alistair, is that it's not just one person feels one way or the other, whether it be about racism or homophobia. It's the fact that it's part of the social con- uh, the social discourse. It's conversations that if we don't have them, nothing changes. And no one can tell me the way the world is going today is great. So if we don't have mature, honest conversations with varying points of view, we get nowhere. I can take my knocks, which I took many of them on the heels of Diane's call. That's fine with me. If I, if someone agrees with me, that's also fine with me. Uh, there's, this is not winning and losing for me. This is not a zero-sum game. We'll take on the issues as they come. We'll take the callers as they come. We'll have the chats as best we can, hopefully in respectful tone and tenor, and then we move on. Well, that's very good, Patty. I called in. I had to say what I had to say. And you, and you did. I Thanks appreciate your time. Thanks for helping me, for letting me come on, come on and say it. Uh, but I'll, I'll just ask you to look at one thing. Sure. If you watch down the road what politicians, before they open their mouth, and I'm not so sure that there weren't politicians in Labrador didn't have to resign because they just said something wrong. I, I, I can't put my finger on which one now, but it seems like there was. There's one guy and somebody said, oh, you're not playing that card again. Yeah, I think he had to end up resigning. No, he's still sitting in the House of Assembly. <laughs> not on the same party, though, is he? Well, he got elected again. So he didn't that's pay much in the way of a price. The salary didn't change. I guess he must have been in the right district. That's all I can say, Patty. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you all day. I'm not arguing with that you at all. for sure. But anyway, you... If this was an argument... What's coming. If this was an argument, it would be going much differently. This is a conversation. I can, I can dis- distinguish between the two because they're a different beasts in my mind. Mm-hmm. So if anyone actually wants to call and argue about anything, I'm happy to do it because I don't mind a good racket. But if people want to have conversations, I'm up for that too. Well, anyway, Patty, okay, all I'll say is you're not going to get many calls because very few people are vocal enough to speak out. People, I won't get enough and calls because I'm willing to have a conversation. That's a strange way for the world to operate, isn't it, Alistair? I'm willing is. to have a conversation, but no one will call because I might not agree with them. Boy, oh, boy. No, that's not the reason they're not going to call. What is it, then? It's, it's because there could be a penalty to pay for the way that I'm talking. Like who's going to make you pay a penalty? <laughs> Seriously. Daddy, the indigenous are not going to appreciate what I've had to say this morning. Yeah, but th- and it can so easily be, it. be shown. 
what what penalty are you subject to though like we just had you said what you said i don't know what anyone can do about it certainly i haven't done anything but try to just i'll, I'll stand my ground because if i didn't once again what a waste of time i'd be putting forward every day if i just came in here and didn't think what i think and willing to say what i want to say why would i do that i mean what a i've got better things to do You're in this world interpreting me wrong patty i'm no, not no. saying you don't have a right to say it i'm not i saying didn't say that, that at all. again I Alistair. Just, again i'll go back i simply called in to right. tell the lady that I supported what she was saying this morning, and it ended up with this. So now, whether I'm at fault or you're at fault, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of it. Yeah, and I don't know if this is not a no-fault insurance conversation. It's just a conversation. Alice, appreciate the time. Take care. Okay, good morning. All right, bye-bye. Uh, break time it is. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two. Nelson, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. Hiya. Good day. Patty, uh, I want to describe, uh, I guess, mainly, mainly, my main concern is the inaction of a doctor. Yesterday, yesterday, uh, around just shortly afternoon, myself and my wife were on our way up. Of, do you know where Sops Arm White Bay is to? I know where it is, yes, sir. Well, we're on our way from Sops Arm up over the road towards towards Transcanada. We're going, 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 picking blueberries. And on the way up, we saw a lady by the side of the road. About 15 minutes from Pollard's Point, we saw a lady by the side road waving. So we pulled over, and she naturally found out she was in the after in an accident. Her van was down about 30 feet down over the side of the road, beat up, and she had to crawl up over the side of the road. So anyhow, I asked her condition, and she told me her hip was bothering her, and she had some blood on her hand. And Anyhow, long story short, we ended up, with her some assistance, we ended up taking her aboard to my truck. And... We had to call an ambulance, and there's, we had no cell phone, and there is no cell phone coverage here, so we had to go somewhere to phone an ambulance. So I said, okay, the lady, I said, okay, we go back to Sops Arm. There's a clinic there. We go see the doctor at the same time, call the ambulance. She said, okay. So that's what we done. We come on back towards Pollard's Point, 15-minute drive, went to the clinic, and I ran into the clinic to call and sing out to the no, – there was no secretary at the wicket. I sang out the doctor there, and nobody answered. So then I came back out. There was a couple of ladies and a couple of gentlemen out working on the building outside. And I said to them, I said, is the doctor around? They said, no. They said, the doctor's around. They said, but the secretary is gone for lunch. So anyhow, I, uh, they, I said, we got to call an ambulance. And they said, uh, they said, okay, we'll, we'll see if we can call an ambulance. We'll probably go up to some offices upstairs. They said, we'll go up there. So I ran back into the doctor's office again to see if the doctor was there. And I went back in this time, and the doctor was there. I said, doctor, can you please call me an ambulance? I said, we, I have a lady. I'm just after taking the lady out of an accident. I don't know her condition. She's, she, she's out there, lid down on my seat now, I said. And I, uh, and I said, uh, First of all, we had to call an ambulance, and then I said, "Could you?" I said, "Could you please come out and look at the lady?" I said, "Check her out." No, no, can't do it. Go to you. Go to emergency. You go to emergency. Can't come out. Can't come out. I said, "Doctor, you can't come out and look at her." No, and he said, "I can't call ambulance. Don't know the number. Can't call ambulance. Don't know how to call the ambulance." He said, "I cannot. I cannot call the ambulance." What? And he said, "I cannot come out. I cannot come out." So I said, "I ran out the door again to the guys outside." I said, "Please, someone go call an ambulance." So someone went upstairs anyhow, and they called the ambulance. So we waited outside the doctor's office for a half, about a half an hour for the ambulance to come. The doctor never did come out and look at this lady. He didn't, would not come out. 
uh, there was a couple of ladies there working on the billing and a couple of fellows. The couple of ladies, I must say, they were very generous. They went and got a, fa- a face lot and got some water, and they came out and wiped their face, talked to her, consoled her, and then and, and, and while we were waiting for the ambulance to come. The doctor did not come out. Now, I don't know why he didn't come out. Was it because he was instructed by Western Health, or was it his own action not to come out? Why would know, All the people were there were very upset that the doctor would not come out. And I know that the clinic do not have any medical supplies there. I knew that because there, about two months ago, I had an encounter there, and they, for some reason, they took every bit of medical supplies out of the clinic. There's nothing at the clinic now, only a doctor and a secretary. Anyhow, that is, and I think that is my main concern. I think, you know, the inaction of the doctor could, could, one of those days, cause uh, an act, cause of someone's life, you know I mean? Just very quickly, uh, Nelson, why do you think that someone might direct the doctor not to come out? I I'm curious as to what you mean by that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, because I, I tell you what, that doctor, seen, one time I did go see that doctor about 10 years ago, and he seemed like a very nice person. I mean, matter of fact, I had pneumonia, and, and the guy, he gave me some medicine and, and no time, and he was very, very considerate man, you know, and uh, I couldn't believe and I couldn't believe it when I when he and he said, no, no, I won't come out. I can't come out. He said, I can't come out. That's what he didn't say, I won't. He said, I can't come out. And there was no, he never had any patient. There was no patient there because it was lunch hour. And uh, he said, I can't come out. He said, I can't. He said, you go to emergency. You go to emergency. Well, I said, well, I have to call the ambulance, you know. And he couldn't, he didn't even know how to call an ambulance. That or, sounds a bit odd. I mean, someone working in a clinic that would be part of the healthcare system is an ambulance, ground or air. Knowing how to contact those first responders is probably a very fundamental part of the job, I would think. I would think, too. Sure. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone, and cell phones don't work in South Sarum, and I didn't have any phone. The phone was inside the, inside the wicket there, <laughs> inside the glass. I said, you have a phone, you call the ambulance. I don't know the number. He said, I don't know the number. So anyhow, I, I came back out then and got got the uh, the workers that was outside to go up into there's more offices up over the clinic there, some government offices and, and they went up there and called the called the uh, called the ambulance you know. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, that, that that but the thing is you know uh, that's the part that that bothers me you know that that the, that the doctor would not I mean maybe there was nothing he could have done but he knew more than I knew you know and I mean I I thought. I mean, I am a professional. I'm a master mariner, and I think I, I talked to you before, Betty. Yes, I know. And, I recognize your voice. And, and uh, Betty, and, and like I said, I am experienced, but I still uh, I, I still think a, a doctor knows a lot more than I do about, you know, I am about, you know, probably there was nothing he could have done, but the lady uh, sort of, she, she wanted to see the doctor. I think the doctor could have given her more assurance, relaxed her more, you know. Uh, Nelson, I appreciate the time. It's a strange old tale, but I'll add that to the pile of strange healthcare-related stories that we hear a lot. I mean, I'm o- I'm open that the, the, I'm going to try to contact Western Health, and and uh, because I was told to make sure that I call Western Health, the people that are there. There was other everybody was there was very concerned that that he didn't come out. You know, everybody, was, all the people that came around after, you know, they were very concerned that the doctor did not make his appearance to come to look at this lady. You know. Well, uh, you absolutely 
should make your concerns known at the regional health authority because that's where it belongs. I'm happy to have the call and the conversation on this show, but they're the ones who can do some follow-up, right? They can find out exactly what went on, the reason why the doctor didn't come outside, and all the rest of it. So do exactly that, Nelson, after we say goodbye. Okay, Patty. Well, thank you very much, Patty. I just want to, to bring it to your to your attention, to your open line, and I, I'm, I'm open that the government people will listen today, you know? Absolutely. Thanks for this, Nelson. Thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Wesley, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. Hi. Uh, I'm calling about the comments that have been made about racism and it being like a figment, a figment of people's imaginations and people using it for attention and there's no racism in Newfoundland. I'm not an indigenous person, but I am a person of color born in Newfoundland. And I can say I, there is tons of racism in Newfoundland. I've experienced it firsthand. Um, you know, when I go to school, people sometimes, I've experienced people calling me the N-word in schools and people making remarks about me being a monkey. Every time I walk in the walk in the mall or walk down the road with my family, um, with my dad, who is a black, uh, he's black and he's from Africa, and my mom, who's a white Canadian, um, people always give us weird, dirty looks. You know. It happens. And that's like the point that I make to people is when when someone tells me that it doesn't happen or we people exaggerate how often it happens, it doesn't happen to me, so I don't know. Because if I'm not on the receiving end, if I'm not a, 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 a person of color or an indigenous person, or then how can I possibly say how common or prevalent it is? That's why I think if we hear from people who are being told that they're less than or being called names based on the color of their skin, that's where we just have to understand what's happening so that we can do their best to reduce the frequency, to be honest about it, and to deal with it. So you say your father's from Africa. What country? Uh, Tanzania. Tanzania. How did your mom and dad meet? Uh, My mom was doing something for mission, and she had to go to Tanzania. She planned to go to Brazil, but as she was handing pamphlets out, she saw that there was an advertisement to go to Tanzania for it. So she went to Tanzania, and she was she was working in Dar es Salaam, and my dad is from Dar es Salaam, and um, she was living with um, my dad's mother. And uh, as soon as she got out of the taxi to go and uh, entered the house where my dad's um, mom was, my dad said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. Great story. Are you uh, only child? Do you have brothers or sisters? I'm an only child. Uh, what grade are you going into this September? I'm going to grade seven. Going to grade seven. Wow. Uh, pretty mature sounding conversation to be having with the soon-to-be grade seven student. Where do you go to school? Do you mind saying? You don't have to, of course. Uh, I'm, gonna go to Fra- I'm going to Frank Roberts. Terrific. That's out in uh, Bay Roberts, is it? No, um, Conception Bay South. Conception Bay South. Uh, So when you encounter things like people referring to you as a monkey and being called the N-word, what do you do? I try to keep, I try to stay calm. I try to, because I know there's, there's so much, 
life to live you know there's so many different things to look forward to I try to stay calm obviously I tell my parents and I would tell and I tell a teacher but I try to stay as calm as possible because if I react then they're gonna just say hey look this proves the point all these black people are crazy amazing because generally speaking when people are being taunted whether it be based on race or anything else the people who are doing the taunting they're looking for a reaction they're starving for a reaction one that one way that we can maybe temper some of these things is when we rob them of all their oxygen if they don't get reactions then they maybe knock it off it might not change how they think but it might change how they act so i think that you're handling this amazingly well it's difficult to stay calm when you're the person that's being picked at or taunted or besmirched which you have been so that's why i just think whether it be the alice or diane's the fact of the matter is we know it does happen because people of color they tell us about what they experience and we can indeed i think all learn a lesson from you this morning wesley to know that there's ways to deal with it if we don't react maybe we can temper the situation because our reaction is only going to bring that same commentary on again tomorrow it's maybe going to be the gang of four or five walking down the hall are now 15 in a month's time so you're doing great uh what are you interested in in school what's some of your favorite subject matter what are you thinking about doing when you're older or do you even know i would like to be a basketball player wow terrific yeah so you play now obviously yeah yeah so what are you working on in basketball? You know, for me, when I was a young basketball player, so many of us were right-handed, but the most important drills we did in, in practice was left-handed layups. What are you working on? Jumper, left-handed, what are you doing? Uh, I'm trying to train on everything. Yeah. I've, got, I've gotten a lot better with my left-handed layups. I'm working with my left hand. I'm trying to become a better shooter, so I'm working on my jumper a lot now. I love to hear it. Listen, if you're ever around the East End of Town, you want to knock down a few jumpers with me, game of 21s or something, look me up. Yep. All right. I got you. Thanks a lot, Wesley. Good to have you on the show. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Now then, (laughs) you know, we, we look to elders for lessons and guidance, and sometimes maybe looking not only to people who are black, Wesley, you know, mom's white, dad's black from Tanzania. It was a great story. I'm going to marry that woman. You know, and, and how we have the conversations and how we react will go a long way to determining how the political and societal discourse goes on these very tricky emotional matters. The conversations can be difficult, but we have to have them. And it doesn't matter what side of it you're on, I'll do my level best to have a conversation with you. If you're willing to do that, so am I. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Welcome back once again. All right, let's go to line number four. Colleen, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you? Good morning. Good morning to you. I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad at all. I just wanted to call in and uh, share some uh, thoughts as an Indigenous person, as a Mi'kmaq woman that was born and raised here in Newfoundland. Uh, I've been listening to your show this morning, listening to Alistair and the previous uh, caller. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share um, that with you that I think, you know, people who sh- who share those thoughts, who share those ways of thinking, um, are coming from a very colonized way of, of thinking, um, and it's coming from a place of 
a fear, I think, as an Indigenous person, they're speaking from a place of fear and ignorance, not ignorance in the fact that they're rude, but ignorant in the fact of the uh, truth of Indigenous people uh, in, in this province and, and in this country. You know, when we talk about reconciliation, and I'm sure everybody's heard the word, including Alistair and your previous caller, and to really uh, take a step back and think what that means. You know, reconciliation is about establishing and maintaining a mutually respectful relationship between us as Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. Um, so I, I don't know, like we can, you know, we talk, there are thousands and thousands of murdered, dead Indigenous children uh, that we're finding across the country from coast to coast. Uh, more locally, with the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, the last residential school in Newfoundland closed in 1996, not that long ago when, when we think about generations and generations. And I think having a conversation, sharing uh, from uh, an Indigenous ways of knowing and doing with people like Alistair and people like uh, your previous caller, um, educating each other, um, you know, right... Uh, Indigenous people have nothing to reconcile. You know, we have nothing to reconcile. The reconciliation needs to come from non-Indigenous people, from settlers. And Indigenous people are loving and humble and kind people that want to go along that journey with our, our non-Indigenous people, who want to right the wrongs, who want things to... Um, you know, want to live amongst each other uh, in a good way. Uh, but we can't do that if we're going to hide the truth. Or if people like Alistair are fearful of coming forward and sharing what he thinks um, and how he thinks history has impacted Indigenous people or it hasn't, um, that we work together to bring that to, to you know to have that conversation happen so so maybe Alistair can understand differently um, uh, you know from uh, from his perspective and really understand the trauma that indigenous people face and still face today you know changing the name of a building uh, in the spirit of reconciliation or taking down a statue in the spirit of reconciliation is all fine and good but we need more actionable. We need we need the government to fund, um, you know, health, justice, all those things, housing, homelessness, all those things that will make a real impact. Um, like, I mean, no. to be honest, Colleen, I don't even know what I think about changing names and statues and, and the, the like. And I don't think any, not all of these issues or conversations are the same, which makes it a one by one. It's probably easier to navigate, for me anyway. So I don't even know if, sure. what I make of all that. And this is not directed at the lady or the gentleman that called this morning. But I think some of what lends itself to this type of standoff, and if someone might be sick of hearing about something, is maybe, just maybe... If we don't understand the actual historical context, if we don't understand the history, then we're unwilling to have a conversation about the history. Because if you don't know it, then you'll just be reacting to what your personal experience is. Like, if you don't see it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If you haven't lived it, doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't. So if, when we don't understand what has actually happened in our own backyard, in our own province, our own country, in and amongst the, whatever people want to talk about, colonization or settlers, whatever, if we don't know the history, then we can't have the conversation. So 
we've got the cart so far out in front of the horse that the horse is chasing it like secretary because we are not catching up because we don't actually understand what people think, where they're coming from, based on history. Not just what you saw on your street, not just what you see in your social circles. There's history that has led to where we are, and we don't know it. Or many people don't, Absolutely. and I don't pretend to, to be honest with you. So that's what I think leads to a lot of these conversations, which, which end up as a quasi-racket, a standoff, mm-hmm. because we're only talking about what we personally think and feel as opposed to understanding the history and what else somebody might feel, like you, like anybody else. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. I know it's tricky, and it makes my job more difficult than I'd like it to be, but so be it, because it's important. Absolutely. It's important to have that conversation. It's important for Indigenous people as well to be, um, you know, to to be on the journey with non-Indigenous people. So we can tell our history. We can share our traumas. We can have people understand what happened to us as a, um, you know, as 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 an Indigenous group, especially here in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And no one, especially, you know, from my own opinion, as an Indigenous person born and raised in this province, no one is trying to eliminate uh, the settler race. No, I'm not trying to eliminate uh, the settlers and your history. My mother is Irish, uh, one of the early peoples on the island. Uh, her father was a fisherman. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed and so grateful that I have both um, uh, perspectives, um, you know, in the two-eyed seeing concept of Indigenous uh, ways of knowing and doing. No one is trying to erase the history of your the Europeans, definitely not. Um, but to understand each other and to uh, come to a path of reconciliation, if we're serious about reconciliation, if the people of Newfoundland and the Labradors are serious about that, then we need to have those conversations and we need to tell our stories. And non-Indigenous people need to listen. Um, it was all fine and good, you know, back in May when the discovery uh, of, um, you know, the, um, the children that were, were murdered across in residential schools across the country. And the world was shocked by that. Canada was shocked by that. But the survivors have been telling these stories for generations. Okay, uh, let me just jump in for one second there. You know, and this is exactly how the conversation gets derailed so quickly. I'm not referring to you. Residential schools, survivors and their testimony at the commission and or the unmarked graves. When there was some circumstances where some of the numbers being relayed may not have been as accurate as we would all hope, because when we're talking about facts, but because of that, it went all the way back to it's all a lie. We didn't have any middle ground on any conversation. It went from the the horror, the atrocities, the numbers, and the different schools where uh, unmarked graves were found to if something was proven to be an exaggerated number, then it all became a lie. And what happened as a result? We went right back to the step number one and started the conversation all over again. The banging of heads on walls. I don't even know where people get any satisfaction out of doing that. You know, whether it be understanding history. And here's an email. I won't read it in full because it's really kind of mindless, but it says that what I'm doing today is spreading white guilt. What? No. That's not what happens. That's not, I mean, certainly not my intention. And as you said, it's not yours either. Because if we, if we just derail the conversations with everyone who says anything about anything is a racist. The exaggeration of a number at one school means it was all a lie. Uh, I'm sick of listening to the word. I'm sick of the, 
that's why we are, are where we are. <laughs> it's exactly uh -huh. why we find ourselves unable to have the conversation. I'm happy to do it as much as some of it makes my blood boil. I have a job to do, and hopefully conversations lead to better understanding, as opposed to the standoffs that just end conversations before they begin. I'm not interested in that. It gets us nowhere. It gets you nowhere. It gets me nowhere. So consequently, I think it's just a, you know, it's a lack of history, and we end conversations before they begin because we're so staunch in what we think and feel that we're not willing to move no further. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, you know, we're extending, as, in, as an Indigenous person that, you know, living and, and uh, uh, in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, um, you know, I extend the olive branch to, um, you know, uh, people like Alistair and all the callers that share uh, that, that thought with you. Um, that is, as an Indigenous people, we're extending the sacred teachings that we carry as Indigenous people to non-Indigenous people who want to learn. The love, humility, all those things, uh, we want to extend that to the Alistairs of Newfoundland and Labrador this morning to have that conversation with each other. There are perspective, you know, perspectives that I'm sure he's going to share with us that we can share with him. But if we're all in this and we're all talking about the buzzword reconciliation, we have to come to the circle, um, everybody with an open heart to have those conversations. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, um, you know, reconciliation is not comfortable for anyone. Um, indigenous people or non-indigenous people, but unless until we come together in the circle, in the safe place where we can share that and educate each other, then I think reconciliation is just that, is just that word. Um, um, yeah, the church, the province, the country. Uh, as Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people, we need, if we're, if, we're, if we're serious about reconciliation and we're serious about uh, breaking down colonization so people understand it, then as Indigenous people, we have to come to the table in a good way, and so does non-settlers. So I want to thank you for, you know, having the conversation this morning. And uh, no one, uh, from my own perspective as an Indigenous woman in this province, living and working in Indigenous community, no one is trying to erase the, you know, European, European um, history. Absolutely not. Uh, but I think if we educated Alistair um, and whoever else has that mindset, that if we educated them from an Indigenous perspective, I think, um, I would hope that um, that way of thinking uh, would change and we can move down the path of reconciliation in a better way. Appreciate the time, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Love the show. Thanks, Colleen. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And again, you know... <laughs> Pretty fascinating email, but just before we get the caller on one, is I'm being told here now that I don't let people make their opinion. I mean, we had Diane and Alistair on for an extensive amount of time. I didn't jump down their throat. I didn't cut them off. In fact, I did the exact opposite, hoping for it to be a conversation. If you have a different opinion of, uh, from me, that's fine. You know, so I just don't understand how people hear different things but of course I'm not this particular lady and the email she just sent is wild it's completely wild you know the insinuation is that you're not allowed to say anything bad about one group or another people on the show when in fact 
We've had people do exactly that with their own free time on the program, given the airtime. I didn't cut them off. I didn't jump down their throat. I didn't belittle them. I didn't call them names. So what do you want? If you're looking simply for an echo chamber where everything you think that you want me to agree with, no. I have to be able to think what I want to think for my own, my own self. Why wouldn't I? We don't have to agree. So if you're mad at me this morning because I don't agree with you, that's on you. I'm not mad at you because you have a different opinion from me. So, again, to pretend that you're not allowed to say what you want to say is ridiculous. There are some things that we should all consider over the top and unacceptable. I didn't hear any of that necessarily this morning. Some of it was kind of off-putting and off-color. But no one cut them off and no one jumped down their throat. Oh, boy. Let's go. Uh... No, we, we had the 45 break. Okay, so uh, probably we're going to take a break and get right into the news. But when we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you. There's a, a caller on line number one wants to talk about a landlord and a one-week notice for an eviction, and then we'll see what's happening on the other line after that. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line five. Uh, Ken, you're on the air. Hi, Ken. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks. How about you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, this is kind of an unplanned, visceral call. I was listening to uh, the two callers, Diane and uh, and Alistair. And by the way, I thought you you did a fantastic. You did a you did a very just and professional job. I think Alistair seemed to be a little bit taken back that. Uh, you kind of didn't warm up to his opinion or accept his opinion, but that—that's your—that's your right and a part of your professional job is to certainly uh, be allowed to express your own opinion. But also, they had fair time to express their views. So, and, look, and it's not—I'm not trying to win these conversations, no, right? No. And it's no hard feelings. It can't be personal between me and Alistair or me and Diana because yeah. I don't know them. So, it's just not how. Like, here's here's a, just a very quick email. And I've gotten lots of these. This person writes, very disappointed in the show this morning. Finding that callers are not being respected for offering their opinions. The host is talking down to his callers. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. How did I possibly talk down to anybody? Like You didn't talk down to anybody, Pat. I you try didn't. my best not to do that. Is exactly right. No, and, and don't, don't let that get to you. because no, I'm, I'm fine, but I just, don't, I just don't know how that is heard that way. Because, I mean, my no. goodness, I do everything I can not to do that. No, no, and well, you you do have a right to to question people, and if someone wants to take your counter questioning as not accepting their opinion, that's that's their problem, not yours. But you also have a right to not accept someone's view about a matter. I mean, that's that's only fair play. So you you've done nothing wrong. And and by the way, let me just say, uh, for both Diane and Alistair, I, they're not racist, and and I and I could tell from their conversation that they're not. They're not mean spirited, so I don't. I, they're listening. Don't misunderstand me. I I think they're fine individuals. I don't agree with their opinion, by the way, and I think part of the problem. And there is racism in Newfoundland and Labrador. It was just in May, uh, we had two uh, Muslim teenage sisters who were accosted by by a white gentleman outside a coffee shop. So, uh, you know, there is racism here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, it, it's in the minority. Thankfully, most people are respectful and tolerant and accepting of everybody else. But there are some, and, you know, racism to any degree or any amount is wrong, and we, and we certainly need to deal with it. But when it comes to the colonial billing issue, uh, you know, I, I think part of the problem is, and I, I, I hate to get into 
this conversation because I don't know enough about uh, the, the past uh, in terms of how Indigenous people were treated. I know some things. I know the, the tip of the iceberg. But I think for people who look at the issue of the change in name of the colonial building and may have had a few incidents with particular individuals somehow generalize and, and think that we're going overboard in terms of uh, trying to uh, reconcile with our indigenous population here. And I think one thing that is needed, the lady who called you, Colleen, said it quite nicely about, we certainly need more conversations because I think part of the problem is people just don't know. They can, they can base an opinion because they saw one incident or, for instance, of the issue of changing the name of colonial building and how Leela Evans quite rightfully questioned not changing it. But I think a lot of people don't realize the history of just how we have treated indigenous people in this country. And, you know, on, until we all get to that point where we know that history and understand what's going on and accept and truly try to do reconciliation, these what I call uninformed opinions. So uh, I, I just as soon as I heard those two callers, I wasn't mad at them. As I said, I don't. I know they're not racist, and they weren't mean spirited. Uh, but I think they're lacking a, a lot of historic information in terms of how we've treated Indigenous people in this country. That's about the size of it. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of at a loss as to what else to say to the issue uh, today. And uh, again, it just was uh, reading another note during the news break that said, you know, I, I spend all day every day trying to stoke that particular flame. Well, I just had a quick look at my notes from the top of the program this morning, and not one mention of any of it. So it's just all quite strange. I'll take it as it comes. Yeah. I mean, you can't hurt me at yeah. this point. It, it, makes your, it makes your job harder. And there's just some people that, uh, you know, I, I have difficulty with some of the emails you've got. In fact, way Ooh. more difficulty. I had no difficulty with Diane and, and, and Alistair. Uh, but I have great difficulty with some of those opinions. And just let me end up by saying this. I remember one time in a conversation with an acquaintance of mine, this is five or six years ago, and we got into a conversation about how uh, indigenous people across the country were, were, were you know, creating problems in terms of not allowing certain mega projects to go ahead on their territory. Uh, so we got into a thing about land claims. And, 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 and in the conversation, the gentleman said to me, so when are these friggin' treaties going to finally end? And I had to say to him, well, listen, you bought a house from somebody. Uh, you paid for it. There's a contract zone. You own that house. Can that individual come back to you and take that house back? And uh, he said, no, they can't. Well, unless indigenous people and their treaties agree to in certain things, that treaty is a contract and it's in force until both parties agree not to have it. But trying to say that to him, use that analogy, was a total waste of time. I was better off talking to a piece of two before and trying to talk to him. So some of those emailers are like a piece of two before. Patty, don't worry about it. Well, I mean, it's, it's not a matter of worry. I'm just taking in well, whatever I hear, whatever I read. It's just all part of it. But uh, yeah, some of it is kind of is yeah. wild. Some of it's so far well, over the and, top and that it's just... It, I mean, the VOCM Open Line and the work that you do is, is so important in terms of giving people a voice in this country. You gave Diane and Alistair the voice that they deserved. You, uh, you countered some of their opinions, you question them on certain things, but you did your job right, so, uh, you so, know, that's all it really counts. The vast majority of people uh, know the difficult times that you have, so uh, ju just feel okay that you, you did a good job with that, and oh. have, a, have a good rest of the show, Patty. <laughs> I'm best kind, but I appreciate the time, Ken. Thanks for the call. Take care, buddy. You Bye-bye. All right, now let's go to line number one. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. Hiya. Uh, I'm good, my buddy. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Okay, Patty, I'm just going to give you a small rundown of my situation here. 
Okay. I live in the West End of St. John's. I live in an apartment building, which is fairly large, five floors, uh, owned by a really large corporation. Uh, I was an incident here last Thursday, and I got charged, which is fine. I got a court date and everything. I'm willing to go to court. But ever since the new landlord took over here, I've been arrested. I've, uh, this building, I got to tell you, is full of bed bugs, and it's full of drug addicts and uh, people selling stolen goods here. And everything's compliant here. And the landlord, in March, I was sitting there watching the NTV evening news, uh, lunch day news. The man come on to my apartment, snuck on my apartment with his key. I guess he thought I wasn't home. And I approached him. I asked him what he was doing here. He couldn't give me no explanation. No one from this corporation come to talk to me and let me know it would never happen again. I'm still waiting a year and a half for uh, the Orkin come to do me uh, apartment again. I'm full of bed bugs. I got a pill bottle there full of bed bugs. Every apartment there has them. Everyone is full of them. And apparently, no, I got to be up on Monday. I can't get no land Labrador attendance board to help me. I called the police, asked, could I lay charges against killing for providing a non safe living arrangements in a building that should be secure, which is not? And I got proof here to prove it. They won't talk to me, and the tenants won't get back to me. So, uh, Penny, I bet we would say, if I the sheriff comes now, put change the locks on my door, I have nothing here. I throw it out of my bed a year and a half ago. I'm sleeping on the floor, and they come to evict me on uh, Monday morning and change my locks. I'm going to put myself down in the parking lot, which is very little, a few dishes and my TV, and I'm going to go down in the river and the harbor and jump in the harbor because it seems like no one wants to help me. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Do you happen to know why the person was trying to get into your or using their own key to get into your apartment? What were they doing? What are they looking for? Do you know? Patty, look, I asked him several times, and he could not give me an answer. And I said, how do you make this mistake? He never made no other mistake here in no other apartment. And he was sneaking in. I was sat down to my kitchen table, Patty, watching the news day. And I, I heard something at the door, and I thought they were just putting a note in the little ringy thing, like sometimes you know, the water going to be shut down or something. And then I look, kept looking at the door, and the lock opened. Then he sneaks in, he poked his head in first, I guess, to see. And I said, what the hell are you doing here? Cheapers. Oh, my God, oh, my God, he said, oh, my God. So I called the, the people who owns the building, the big corporation, and I uh, told them exactly what happened then. No one come to me. To say, Terry, you know, this won't happen again or nothing like that. And uh, I haven't slept. I'm afraid to go, afraid these people are coming in all the time. No one, no one even provided an explanation why. Yeah, I mean, there can't be a good reason for it. I mean, if there's something in there, the contractual arrangement you have that they can at any given moment uh, knock on your door and if there's no answer to come in and make sure that whatever's okay. But, of course, there's no such thing as that. So that's really quite bizarre that someone's willing to take that on. And I'll tell you another thing, Patty. Uh, they, they had a landlord here for a year and a half. He was here, he was doing drugs with all the people here and sleeping with the hookers that were in the building. They finally got rid of him. They hired a new man to come here. He lasted one day. They brought him around to meet tenants. He wouldn't even come back for the second day. It was too much drugs here and too dirty of a spot. Then they hired this new guy, and ever since he'd come here, he'd, he'd come into my apartment for an excuse. Me and a few other tenants were after talking about it. He'd come in three times in three months to check fire alarm. And the last time he came in, I said, well, I got one in my bedroom. Oh, he said, 
He was in my bridge and was looking around for at least five minutes. I finally had to walk in. I said, can I help you? He was over looking around underneath my bureau. I said, the fire alarm was right here, my buddy. On the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not hard to find oh, the fire alarm in a, in a small bedroom. Yep. And I looked at uh, the tenants board act this morning online, and they learned to come in and check uh, your fire alarm. But usually once every six months, if it's any more than that, they got to have a really good explanation. They were here three times in three months. And everyone in this building knows they only come in to look around to see who's dirty and who's not because they were evicting people here because of dirt. And they evicted a guy here who lived there 20 years because he spoke his mind. And that's why I didn't press charges in March when the man came into my building because I knew if I spoke up, they would have tried to evict me. He was here for 20 years and spoke his mind and they kicked him out. Brutal set of circumstances. Caller, I appreciate you making time for the show. Would you like to add anything else before we uh, take a break? No, I can't legal aid and everything. Okay. Put me in the right direction. Like, I got to fill out application. That I haven't got time to fill out applications. I need someone to help me now. Or the Newton Antennas Board. I got till Monday morning. And and I was in the shelter before. Patty, I promise you, I'm not going in the shelter again. And that's a promise. So if I, no one don't help me between now and the weekend, I'm finished. Where can we point you to get some help with that bit of paperwork? Uh. Dave has your number. During the break, I'm going to think if I can think of an organization that can help you out on that front because, yeah, okay, so I'm going to put you on hold. Dave's going to tell you we're going to forward this along to a couple of folks that might be able to give you some help shortly so that you get the paperwork done before Monday, okay? Thank you so much, Patty. I appreciate it. No problem. So, Dave, you just want to tell him we'll send it to a couple of organizations and off we go? Okay, I'll put uh, that gentleman on hold. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back. Uh, line number two. Caller, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Hi, how are you? Doing okay. How about you? Good. So I'm calling now because I heard that little boy on the air about the racism. He experienced that, like, just in grade seven, I think he said. He's heading into grade seven. His name was Wesley. I was really taken aback by just how mature and some of the answers that he had to our, in our conversation was remarkable, I thought. <laughs> Same. I thought he was 16, so I was like, holy crap. I thought he was going to say he's going into his second year of engineering. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and, of course, I listened to your previous caller before him. Um, the I think it was like something with an A. Alistair or something like that? Yep. So, with all the racism talk and everything this morning, I figured I'd call in and put in my two cents on the whole conversation because it needs to get talked about. I didn't think it was any racism in this land at all. I grew up here. I've never been out of the province. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's no racism. Like, I, I very much taught, like, Alistair and then that until I got into a mixed-race relationship. And there is some serious racism here that I didn't know we had. I'm in a mixed relationship, of course, and I have an eight-month-old little boy. And his dad is only new to Newfoundland, I think, three or four years now. And when I got in the relationship and I told my family I was pregnant, I actually had a family member say, uh, oh, he never did that to try and get his green card, did he? or his visa, or when they talk about marriage, or don't rush into it, or don't get married, because he might only be looking to get his visa. And I was really taken back by that. And wow. Because, because I was like, 
wow, like I didn't think actually talk like that. And if we go out to restaurants, it don't happen often, but you do get one or two people. And how I get talked to and then how he gets talked to or communicated with is chalk and cheese. And I'm like, what? I'm, I'm so taken back by it. And I remember another instance, we are in the mall and I had my little boy in the cart and this older gentleman, I know it was just like that ignorance and he was rude, but more so of ignorance, like, you know, he just didn't know any better. And he said to my mom, who was by him, he was like, oh, who's this little boy to you? And he was, she said, oh, this is my grandson. That's his mom over there. And he said, oh, that's all right. It don't matter where he comes from. They're all the same. They're loved equally. Because he didn't think he was my son. Because he was mixed. And then another, uh, one more instance. Now, so, but, you know, sometimes things like that, someone might not mean anything by that. You know, yeah. it, it's just, you know, there's different levels and severities of different comments that are aimed at people and stuff. Sometimes that person might just not know any better. <laughs> not yeah, well, that's why I said, like, it was just his, like, ignorance. Cause we were in um, Carbonier at the time, actually. So it was a very small, and I know he didn't mean no harm by it. And he was a sweet old man. But it was just the fact that he wasn't used. Like, myself, I'm from out that way, and I moved in town. I didn't see a person of color until I moved in town, and I was 18 years old before I seen someone of color. And I actually had a man from where I'm from, and he met my boyfriend for the first time. He actually looked at me, and he said, what's wrong with your own kind? Right in front of my boyfriend. And he actually looked at me, then looked at my boyfriend, and he said, can he even speak English? And my boyfriend was like, yeah, I can speak English. But it's it's that level of racism that I don't even think people realize they're being racist. Well, and plus, there's an intent behind. If you want to be openly and without hesitation or reservation be racist, then there's intent behind it. Some people just may inadvertently not even understand what they might be saying might be hurting somebody, <laughs> you know? There's, well, I think there is a difference, and I'm not trying to split hairs here, but I do think there is a difference. You know, like the, the someone tells me I'm trying to monetize that TikTok video. No, we're just talking about things that are actually being made. Uh, so there, there was intent there. If someone yeah. says, uh, I'm sorry, do you speak English or who's this child to you? They might not be doing anything but thinking that they're asking just a fair, sincere, genuine question and might not have zero intention of making anyone feel bad. So I just think there's different things that happen out there that, you know, and it's probably helpful if we don't lump them all in the same uh, category because they probably don't belong in the same category as much as they might have hints of racism, as we say. Like those remarks were just ignorance where the man who said, oh, by friend with your own kind was intent and sure. a man who said to me oh I don't believe in mixed um, like you know you shouldn't have the child because I, I don't believe in mixed thing like it's not wrong with what's wrong with a white person and a white person having a baby and a black person and a black person having a baby that's fine but I don't think you should interrace it and I was really taken back by that and I haven't talked to the man since because to me that was really hurtful because 
I was like, I had no idea that this person talked like that. I seen him as a friend and a coworker, and I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Well, it's not that long ago that, I mean, mixed race marriage is one thing, but even the Catholic marrying a Protestant, you know? I mean, things are changing in the world because change is part of life. Change is difficult, but change is happening around us. We can either talk about it, embrace it, and understand it, or we can just reject it, and then consequently... We get nowhere. I mean, that's. I think that, that point translates to a lot of the things that we end up talking about on this show. I'm sure you remember how um, Newfoundland used to be, like, hardly any um, multicultural here. Well, of course. I mean, when I was and a school-age boy, uh, there were a couple of uh, black children in our school, and both of their dads were surgeons. So I did, we didn't really have much in the way of understanding what the rest of the world felt like and looked like. It just didn't. And that doesn't mean that we were backwards. It just means that's the way it was. Yes, and, and I know now it is so diverse and so multicultural that I think some of it is people are... I, th- I think the lady who was on previously, it's fear. I think a lot of it is fear because I know people so sure you never see Newfoundlanders around no more. It ain't going to be no Newfoundlanders left in Newfoundland. But a lot of that is it's not because of the diversity that's coming in the Newfoundland, but how the government's running Newfoundland that Newfoundlanders are leaving. And unfortunately, the diversity and multicultural people who are the immigrants who are coming here are getting that backlash. Well, and some of them are probably having a great experience. That's the thing. Yes. Not everybody feels the same or hears the same stuff. There are some immigrants, I guarantee you, they have felt welcomed and they're enjoying their time here and maybe looking to set up shop and set down roots. Others maybe had a different experience because nobody, uh, there's nobody, regardless of who you are, always has the same experience every time they open their eyes, walk out the door. So that's that's about it for me. I'll give you the last word. I'm a bit late for the news, but I'll give you a chance to wrap it up. I think I just called because I think the conversation do need to be had, and I think people need to not get their back up or feel like you're arguing with them because you don't agree with them. It's have the conversation. Open your mind up. Let's do it. Thanks for this. Appreciate your time. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, just saw this out of the corner of my eye, but let's see. Okay, coming up on Saturday. The 20th of August, Herbert Stone is turning 91 years of age. He's living up in St. Anthony. He hails from Henley Harbor in Labrador, spent 30-plus years of career as an area superintendent with Newfoundland Labrador Hydro in St. Anthony. He's been retired for a while. He tunes into the shows. So happy birthday. It's coming up on Saturday, Herbert, but happy birthday to you, sir. Hopefully you have a lot of family and friends around to enjoy the big day Saturday. Let's take a break for the news. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Line four, John, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. How you doing? Patty, I'd like to comment on what Alistair was saying there. I certainly disagree with him. There is discrimination in the province, no question about it. Uh, Sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional. But Elster hit on one thing there that that certainly sparked me to call in, and that's on being treated equal. And in this province, there is certainly animosity growing in some areas because people are not treated equal. 
for the for the reason. I mean, I got a next door neighbor that just went out and bought a forty thousand dollar quad, had to pay no taxes. His two kids went to university, totally free. Uh, if I get my picture taken by the Kind River sign, I can get away with paying taxes on my seventy thousand dollar truck. I mean, this is a, if we're going to be treated equal, if we're going to put everything on the table, then this should be thrown out as well. I mean, everyone should pay their fair share. Everyone get the same credits as on a go-forward basis. Do you think there's reasons why these negotiations have ended up with those types of issues, whether it be, and not everybody gets free university. There's some misconceptions through all of that stuff. Um, but do you think there's reasons why some of these negotiated outcomes are the way they are? Well, uh, if, if it is, people need to know, because what the government is doing, and I don't blame the people. If I had the opportunity, I would take advantage of any program that is out there as well. But I certainly not uh, not uh, uh, discriminating against anyone that's there. But all I heard on the radio, on the open line and everything, was cost of gas this year. How much can I buy gas for in Con River? I have no idea, to be honest. I know. I know when it was a dollar twenty-eight, I bought it down there for sixty-eight cents a liter. So, so I mean, if this is creating animosity in the communities because people see this going on with their next door neighbor, and I, I have next, well, I don't live in Con River, I don't live near Con River, but I have a next door neighbor that went out because they got the card uh, four or five years ago. Uh, when uh, when uh, when they had it, they went out and bought a, a forty thousand dollar quad, and they're already paying all taxes. Do you think that's fair? in this province? Well, it's something that was negotiated. I don't know what fairness really has to do with some of these things because a lot of it is out of the vast majority of our hands. 99% of us had no say in any of these things. Like, you know, the whole bit about uh, someone got something that I didn't. You know, even when we talked about some of the supports coming from the province during these tough times and they focused in on some set, certain set of uh, seniors and others and then people who got the, the syrup from the federal government or whatnot. Like, none of these things came to me. I didn't get any of them, but I didn't think that it was a bad thing it. that some people got them, though, because there were some different needs no. that different people had that I kind of understood. So I had no say in any of these uh, arrangements and or land treaties or the like. Is it right? I don't know. That's up to you or anybody else to uh, have their own opinion on it. Uh, I think there are some reasons historically as to why some of these negotiations turn out the way they did, but just because I don't get it doesn't mean that I think someone else might not deserve something. Because there's a Eddie, two, uh, two examples uh, I just Eddie, gave. I agree. I, Petty, I agree with you totally. I, I agree with that totally. But if we live and work in the same community, then shouldn't we be treated the, the same when it comes to taxes? And I mean, what's getting people frustrated is, is and I believe in reconciliation. But dollars is not going to fix reconciliation. That's and true. That's all you hear. That's all you hear uh, in the media, in the news, the federal government throwing money after money after money. That's not going to fix it. And and that's what's getting people frustrated. And uh, and when Alistair talked about being treated equal, 
that's what I, that's what I see. Ballister's wrong on this on discrimination. There's no question about it. I mean, there's discrimination there. To what degree? I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, some people, <laughs> but some some people gets offended if, you, if someone calls you a newfie. I don't get offended if someone calls me a newfie. So it depends on the context and the person of of, of what discrimination is. But when you're not going to fix the problem in those communities, until I. I mean, I, I love my camper. I love my quad. And my kids went to university, cost me $100,000 for my kids to go to university. And uh, uh, But it makes me sick. And I had to scrimp and save and everything else to be able to provide the best that I could to help them out to go to university. I had to scrimp and save to get my quad. And when, when there's thousands and thousands of dollars that's thrown out there, not necessities of life, okay, uh, uh, but it's still thrown out. Serb, you spoke on Serb. Serb was a necessity for some people. 100%. Was it deserved? Yes, I agree with it. But why? Why should? Why should people be getting quads and boats and everything else and not paying no taxes for recreational purposes? It's, it's not fair to the average person. Some people have abused it, right? And that also makes it feel and uh, the conversation make it a little bit worse. For instance, and I've said this in the past when we were talking about the uh, Halapu looking to be recognized. I know a guy who has, for generations, has grown up in the east end of town. The family has a lot of money. And he's a white, blue-eyed kid like me. And he boasts about the fact that he's got a status card. And that kind of stuff just drives everyone, right? Because if we're talking about fairness and who deserves and who does not, those types of things just make the conversation even worse, in my personal opinion. And that might be some uh, a tangent to what you're referring to this morning, John. But that's the kind of stuff that I think irritates a lot of people. Whether or not there's uh, a level of fairness or lack thereof, when we talk about taxes and whatever, the education and the like, you know, inside of those conversations is also what has happened to lead us to this point. But sometimes many people just don't want to have that portion of the conversation because it's easy to say that's not fair. So I'm happy to take your call, your opinion, Alistair's, Diane's, and anybody else's here on the show. I don't pretend to have all the answers on this issue, number one, because I'm not a person of color, nor I'm not an indigenous person. I don't know how their lives have gone, what it's meant for their family and the generational trauma. I don't understand it because it's not me, which is why I'm happy to listen to whoever wants to offer their perspective on these conversations, which are tricky to navigate. They're difficult to have. But I respect your time, and I appreciate you making time for the show. I'll let you have the last word, sir, before I take my final break. Yeah, Patty, uh, uh, and I'll give you an example that leads to animosity. Well, what the federal government did in Nova Scotia when it comes to the lobsters, they, they never put, there's nothing wrong with Indians getting into the fishery. But they should have to play by the same rules as everyone else. But when you put a s- separate set of rules out there, and they've done the same on the, in the province, a sec- a separate set of rules on how they operate in, in that industry. That's what creates the problems, and that's what's going Until these problems are fixed, then you're going to see discrimination and animosity bill, not deflate. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks, John. Uh, final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to line number three. Nathan, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. How are you today? Doing okay, sir, and I appreciate your patience. How are you? Well, 
Oh, man, not to worry. Listen, you got a lively show there. My, I'm very light compared to what everybody else is saying. Uh, listen, is it okay to give a big shout-out to a business? I'll tell you what happened. My wife, we were coming from the, east, uh, the West Coast, and uh, we almost got in Grand Falls, and my wife realized her p- uh, purse was missing. And long story short, uh, I'm trying to remember where the heck we stopped. It was at the Bayford Junction, at the Junction Inn. And uh, I managed to get the phone number, called back. Yes, they had her purse. Well, that was a big relief. But my uh, fate in humanity, as 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 an ant, believe me, there was an elderly gentleman picked it off the picnic table, and turned it into the chip, the red chip stand, at the Junction Inn. And I'll tell you, those people were awesome. They took it on themselves to uh, put it on Facebook and try to find us. And of course, they tried to find my. All they had was my home phone number. And of course, I only got a cell. We were almost in Grand Falls, Patty, and that's Bayford Junction. I don't know if you know the distance, but we had to go all the way back. And a big shout out to that those owners of that uh, junction and they kept it, protected our purse, her purse, and uh, and I'll tell you the food was awesome as well. That's my good news story. <laughs> oh my God, she, she thought she she thought it was the end of the world. Honest to God, well, no I, doubt. I mean the worry pangs start immediately, but as we're thankfully reminded uh, every now and then, maybe not often enough on the show, there's good, honest people out there all over the place. Oh, you just yeah. gave us a good example. Yeah. Anyway, so a big shout out to the owners of the uh, of the Junction Inn. I suppose I can say that it's a business, but it's a it's the Red Chip Stand. Is an elderly elderly gentleman picked it up off the uh, off the picnic table <laughs> and passed it into them. But they went to went beyond. They put it on Facebook, and uh, of course we couldn't see that. And uh, sure enough, it was there, and uh, she was oh. Matter of fact, we even went back and bought some more food. We're <laughs> so thankful. <laughs> like you would. So this is a great story, Nathan. I'm glad you had time for the show to tell us. Thanks a lot. Thank you, my friend. And you have a lively show there today, buddy. That we do. Take care. You God too. bless. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nathan. That's a good one. I love that. Let's go. Nine number one. Agnes, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Patty, I was calling about, you know, what it was like growing school, and I mean, I feel bad for those Aboriginal children that were in the system that was treated bad going to school, but in my case, I'm calling to let you know about when I was growing up, uh, we had teachers in our school that was hard to us, and everyone in our neighborhood had big families, 15, 17, 22, whatever. Which is wild, isn't it? Yes. And when we were going to school, we had a train dividing the school from Grand Falls to Windsor. And when we were going to school in the mornings, I mean, it was cold, and you were waiting for that train to pass. And if you were late for school, you got on the school steps, and they locked the door on you and left you outside in the cold and waited until they felt to let you into school. One principal we had was a demon. He was really bad to us. He strapped us, he abused us, and the teachers, not the nuns, not the priests, but the the teachers, individual teachers, were really cruel. Come down, beat you on the hands with a strap. Come down and beat you on the hands with a a, a yardstick, or smack you in the back of the head, and tell you you're stupid, I don't, I don't think it was right, you know, and I mean, that scars never leave you. Well, you know, uh, fair enough. The, 
So just because, like, I mean, I'm old enough to have taken plenty of smacks in school. Plenty. And I'm not that old. I'm 53 for, you know, for uh, honest, for just being honest. And I took plenty of knocks. Uh, But, of course, my knocks don't make your experience any different, nor do they make a, a residential school survivor's experience any different. We all had different issues that we faced based on whether it be the, the era we grew up in or the type of school we went to. Because I went to a Catholic boys' school, and we took our knocks. That's yes, for sure. No, I'm well aware of that because my brothers did too. Yep. You know, and I mean, I had uh, 10 sisters, 7 brothers. So, I mean, uh, uh, you go to school in the morning, and when Monday morning came, you hated to go to school because you knew that the teachers were really angry on Monday mornings. They were, they weren't fit to go to. Yeah. Now, let me say, for someone who's listening, who also went to Pius Tenth or whatever with me, and or was a teacher, we had generally good experience in school. It wasn't as bad as you know every day. I was afraid to go to school or anything like that. But there was instances of, look, I've I've seen the razor strap. <laughs> I know what it is. I've you felt it across the back of the hand. People's backs, like I seen. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you saw, but there's uh, certainly uh, lots of those types of things happen to go on in schools, and I think that's uh, you know. And then people say, "Well, we should bring back the corporal punishment." It's probably a bad idea because it didn't work, right? No. You know, people I- were bad. And they were bad just because they liked being mischievous or you know to get under the teacher's skin. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but that that wasn't the the thing. I mean, we always have respect for elder people, and we still got it. But the thing is, today, the kids don't have any respect for any adults, any seniors, none whatsoever. The kids don't, you don't think? No, they don't. They don't. You can go to the mall anytime, and they'll tell you to go F yourself or whatever. I worked in stores, and young women come in the store and tell you to F off and whatever, right? But like I was saying about schools, okay. we had hard knocks going to school. And, I mean, when you got a teacher telling you you're stupid, that's not call for. There's nobody in this world that's stupid. It's certainly no need to speak to children like that. It's certainly not helpful. You're not educating them at all. You're taunting them. Uh, Agnes, anything else? Though? Dave wants me to squeeze on one more, but I'll let you have the, the floor. Yeah, but what I'm saying, you know, people talking down to you as if you were a piece of dirt because your father didn't work in the mill and you weren't a teacher's child or anything else and you were abused going to school, that wasn't called for. Because today, if I had children going to school and somebody went and hit one of my children, would never get away with it. No, guarantee you, they wouldn't get away with hitting mine either. No, sir, no. I had one incident, but I tell you, I was went for school with my car, so if they had no other choice, let me in and have my peace. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't beat up your rig. No, but like I said, I was very angry at the time because of what was happening to my child. I mean, my child went to school, and, they, and of course, young boys at, uh, in the 70s, well, my young fellow was born in 79, in the 80s, he was going to school, and he was in, in the elementary school, or the primary school, elementary school he was in, and one of the teachers took him and threw him up against the locker. I was long going to the school and telling them, you don't put your hand on my child. There's a reason for feeling that way. It's good to have yeah. you on, Agnes. You've had the last word. We've out, we're out of time for this morning. Anyway, you take care and have a nice day. I know you got a good program on the go today, but... Uh, Anyway, keep your head up and smile. All good, Agnes. Thanks for this. Thanks. Bye.
Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. All right, we made it. <laughs> Big thanks to everyone who supports the program. All of the listeners. All of the emailers. All of the callers. You're all right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.